Matthew chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Dear Lord, may you bless the reading of your word today. May you speak through me today to the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. And you may say, Billy, there's another one down there. I know. We'll get to that one. We'll get to that one uh, next time. Um, but I want to start off with saying, uh, with saying this. You know, it's, gen- it's generally agreed that our temperament and uh, our, our personality are, a, are at, at a, to a large extent given at birth. And personalities, um, while they can adapt and then while they can adjust, personalities kind of mostly stay the same throughout life. Uh, a cheerful child is probably going to be a cheerful adult. Another way of saying it is that one who is an, a child who is an introvert may always be an introvert. Um, they may have, uh, they may have, uh, they may be able to work through that a little bit better. Um, but they may always be a, an introvert of somewhat or some way. But character is not like that. Character is far different from that. Um, people sometimes gain and sometimes lose. Uh, their their moral character based on what situation they find themselves in, based on if they're lo- focusing on God or focusing on self. For example, liars and thieves can become honest people. Those who are morally dishonest can become honest people. Um, and, but on the flip side, there there are good people who uh, in who put into situations that they probably morally couldn't handle. They end up becoming morally corrupt. Um, We see that happen a lot with politicians, for example, where we see what seemingly is is, are are good people going into office and either it be uh, money or uh, or fame or influence end up corrupting good corrupting the character. And it's it's not just with politicians. It can happen anywhere. It can happen in any public service. It can happen to business people. It can happen to pastors. It can happen to anyone. And the great question is, how does this moral change come about? It comes from the inside. It comes from within our hearts and within our minds. See, character, what it does is it begins with a choice. And it begins with a choice to behave in a certain way. Whatever character that you and I that, that, that you that you and I are that that uh, that defines us, it's a choice to behave in that way. Christian character begins with a choice to behave in a way that glorifies God. So we can take that a little bit further. That's more generic, but to take it a little further, Christian character it begins with a choice to behave in a way that glorifies God. And that may seem odd a little bit because Jesus starts off here, especially in the Beatitudes, because, it, uh, because at first glance, uh, we don't see God much mentioned in the Beatitudes, except for the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, but for, or, or verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But we don't see much of the Lord mentioned throughout the first of the blessings here. But what, we're, but what I want you to see here is that, in fact, God's hand is hidden in several of the Beatitudes here, even if he's not main, mentioned specifically. And this is not the first time in Scripture that where even though God may not be mentioned, where he's, not, where he's, where he, where he's still at work. If you think of the book of Esther, 
God is never mentioned in the book one time, but throughout the book of Esther, he is there. In fact, uh, in fact, it was mentioned to Esther by her cousin. Maybe you are here for such a time as this, and knowing only that that is the Lord's working, even though he was never mentioned. And so that's the same, I believe that's the same way here. Um, uh, in this original Greek, and I'll give you some of this because this is, this is important. Uh, there are some passive verbs here, and it comes out in uh, pa- some passive verbs in, uh, in, the, in the English as well. He says, those who mourn shall be comforted. Those who are, heart- are hungry shall be satisfied. Uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. They shall, uh, literally what it says, be mercied. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be uh, sons of God. Uh, in the sentences, we're not told directly who fulfills these promises, but uh, so we can ask the question: Who's going to comfort those who mourn? Who's going to comfort? Uh, who's going to provide uh, the kingdom? Who's going to do this? And I think what we can, and, and I believe what you should be able to see, and what we can see is that uh, it's God who provides all this. Now, how do you say it's God, Billy? In the biblical times, this is interesting, it's something I learned. In the biblical times, the, the Israelites were so jealous to avoid taking God's name in vain that at, at some points they tried to avoid its use altogether. They were so scared of taking God's name in vain that they avoided mentioning God's name altogether. It was simply understood that they were talking about the Lord. And one way to avoid his name was to talk in this divine passive uh, uh, statements. That is, it's a passive verb uh, with an unstated understanding that God is the one doing the blessing. And uh, so I, I think that's noble. Maybe it was carried too far, but it is noble, especially in a generation where we will quickly type in a text message, OMG. Or where we'll quickly take the Lord's name in vain without even thinking twice about it. And so I believe it is noble, especially in, in a culture that, that, we, that we use the Lord's name in vain quite often. And so the sense, therefore, even though they, God is not mentioned, he's, he's, it's understood that God is the one who blesses here. God is the one who comforts those who mourn. God is the one who fills the, the, those who, fills the hearts of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, God, the Bible teaches that God gives us a new heart or a new character and that you and I must pursue that righteous character. When Jesus blesses his disciples who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he blesses those who make righteousness their goal. Uh, but him using, that, him using that passive language, it's not him saying it, it, it might happen. Him, what he's saying is that He's present even during the quest. Uh, Look at this first. There's a pivotal blessing that goes on here. A pivotal blessing. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Now, what Jesus is saying is not, it's not an if then. It's that they're going to find the blessing of being satisfied in the Lord during this, during the, even during the hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus is there with them throughout the entire process. It's not an if then, it's because you are hungering, thirsting, you will be 
satisfied. So the hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's, that, that's a longing for God. That's a longing to, to, uh, uh, to be with the Lord. That's a longing to have that, co- that kind of uh, com- spiritual community with the Lord. As Christians, we should long for his rule and for his presence in our lives. And what happens is, is that it's the spiritual consequence of what's taking place in the first three Beatitudes, by the way. If we know our sin and our spiritual poverty, as verse 3 talks about, if we mourn over our sin, as verse 4 talks about, then you and I will hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we live meekly, then we will hunger and thirst for Righteousness. That is, we're going to seek it. We're going to yearn for it. We're going to ask God to help us become more righteous, more like Christ. When we come before God realizing, like, Lord, I don't have the strength to do this by myself. Lord, I need your help. And you may be in a situation like that. I think all of us should, should realize that we are. Uh, that we are uh, living lives that we can't do by ourselves. But specifically, if you find yourself in a situation that, that you realize, Lord, I can't do this by myself, the natural consequence of that is make me more like Christ. Lord, I need you more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, that language of, that, that language of hunger and thirst, by the way, it's all throughout Scripture. It's all throughout Scripture. The, the psalmist uh, says that the hungry and thirsty cry out to the Lord in Psalm 107. Uh, God also tells his people in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without, without money and without price. Come and buy it because it's, because it's not going to cost you anything. Jesus has already paid for it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, their, for righteousness. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness means to seek God. And it means to seek, it means to seek him through his word uh, uh, fervently and aggressively, as, just as we would seek for food and water if we're hungry. I don't know about y'all, but... Uh, if I've been working really hard all day, whether it be out or whether it be at home, uh, when it's time to eat, I'm looking for something quick. And so if, so if the person at the drive-thru starts making the order a little bit complicated, I'm getting a little frustrated. Are you all the same way? Nobody wants to admit that, okay? Um, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm getting a little frustrated because I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I'm looking, I'm searching for that. You know, as hungry and as thirsty as we get at times, looking and searching and trying to get water or something something to drink or something to eat, that's how hungry and thirsty we should be for God's righteousness. And how often are we? How often do you seek after God as hard as you seek after food sometimes? If we're not, then we're missing out on a blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. On the flip side, those who don't hunger and thirst, it would be equally true to say cursed are those who don't hunger and thirst. If we're not hungering for Christ, if we're not desiring to grow in him more and more, the flip side of that, cursed are those. 
As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God, as David says. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. The blessed person gets hungry for God when when he's separated from him. The blessed person desires to hear God's word and he desires to learn God's word. Now, sometimes we can end up settling in a dull life that ends up passionless, that seemingly, that's simply guided by routine and by duty. And we can end up in that situation without realizing it. And so I mentioned this the other night. Um, how passionate were you when you first got saved? And would you say that you're as passionate now as you were the day that you came to the Lord? And if the answer is no, then there's your proof. Your passion has fallen away. Your passion has waned. You end up, uh, you ended up, uh, have, have what you ended up working more to fit in, to hang on, and to drift along, and to, or to drift along, and, and 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 without realizing it, years have passed like uh, lazy clouds on a summer on a summer afternoon. Friends, if we're not as passionate now about our about our hunger and thirst for God as the day that we were saved, we're not the ones who bless who are blessed. You're living a life without God's blessing. I want to show you a picture of what I'm talking about here with these if-then statements. Look at the first three. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See that on the left? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Because what ends up happening if you're poor in spirit, if you realize your need for God, if you mourn over your sin, if you live a life that is meek, then that is automatically going to look like that you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Billy, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then you need to realize that you are poor in spirit, that you have sinned, that you need to mourn over, and that you need to live a life that is meek. And if... You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Here's what the Beatitudes of Action are, five, six, and seven. We're going to go through them in just a minute. It's a really neat little visual there. The next three Beatitudes that we're going to talk about describe that change, that pivotal change that we've been discussing with, uh, with the third blessing here, with the fourth blessing. What ends up happening is that the poor in spirit are merciful, mourners become pure, and the meek make peace. So let's look at it. Three kinds of blessed character. Three kinds of blessed character. We'll take the next few minutes and and, uh, go go through that pretty quickly. First one, they're merciful. A blessed character is merciful. And that is a blessed character in action. You're going to see and you're going to notice and you're going to see in yourself and you're going to see in others that they are merciful Blessed are the merciful, Jesus says. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It's not some just isolated remark, by the way. It flows from, that, from the previous beatitude. It describes our hunger and our thirst. When Jesus blesses those who are poor in spirit, he promises mercy. Because the, those who are poor in spirit are merciful. When we recognize, by the way, our spiritual poverty, our weakness, our sin, then we begin to see the, weakness of, the weaknesses and the sin in others differently. Because we see that, hey, that could be me there 
Folks, mercy is a gift of the Spirit, but it is a command for all of us to do. Some of us, because it's a gift, just means we're a little better at it than others. But it is not an excuse not to have mercy. And that's any of the gifts, by the way. We can look at a spiritual gifts test and see, like, well, I don't really have uh, gifts of gifts of. Uh, of evangelism or I don't really have gifts of hospitality just but not just because you're not gifted in that area does not mean that you're not commanded to do it it means you just got to work a little harder at it gifts of uh, so God's people are called to be mercy and for some of us that isn't that may be an area where you and I may struggle in that may be an area like man I can't, why, why are they still falling so short? What's wrong with that person? How could they ever do that? Sometimes we end up saying that without realizing, man, that could have been me there. That could have been me who fell into that trap. That could have been me who fell short. That could have, that could have been me who ended up in their situation. So when we see someone who's troubled, mercy Causes us, causes us to empathize. So instead of asking, how did you get into that situation? You ask, how can I help you out of it? That feeling of compassion, that merciful, it leads to action. The poor in spirit, those who realize their need for God, they're merciful because they see people who, just like them, are in need for God. God give us a gift of mercy, but he also commands us to show it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, in verse 13, he said, I desire mercy. He told the, the Jewish leaders that mercy is one of the weightier matters of the law in Matthew 23. That mercy is required to be shown by God's people. And the beauty of it is, is that God is not claiming, is not commanding us to do anything that he hasn't already shown us through his son, Jesus. The demand that God gives is also a gift. He gave us his son who, who showed who shown more mercy than you and I ever could. Who's given more mercy and more grace than you and I ever could. Are we living by God's mercy? Have you received the mercy that God offers in Christ? And lastly, are you merciful to others? Have you, are you merciful? And if that's something that you struggle with, realize that, 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 that hopefully that brings you to the realization that, hey, I struggle with mercy. I am poor in spirit. God, I need your help. Let's go to the next one. Blessed are the merciful. Then Jesus says in verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There are two senses in which Jesus is talking about this. First, uh, that, that purity of heart is, a, is that inner holiness that's, uh, that's different from external piety. Uh, but the second, purity, um, uh, the second can mean, uh, purity can mean that it's free from, uh, uh, from double-mindedness and just to be simply pure for the Lord. Um, those who show mercy, they do so because they love mercy, not to gain a reward. Uh, they show kindness to those who, uh, to those who cannot thank them uh, or, to, or to strangers who they'll never see again. They show kindness not to receive reward, reward from it, but to just 
because they love to show kindness. And, that is, and that's the purity there. And Jesus, and Jesus is talking about this in a couple of different places. He says, uh, for, for, for one example, he says, we must shun adultery even in thoughts and in deeds. In Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 27 to 30. We'll look at that in a, in a few weeks. You and I should be able to pray in public, but our public prayer should be more on, more on focusing on God than people seeing us pray. We should be able to pray in public, but we should be more intent on praying to God in private. If we pray more in public when we're called on to pray in public, whether it be uh, for the offering or whether it be for any other situation, if we pray more at these situations than we do in private, what are we doing? It's not showing any purity in heart. It's putting on a show. Purity of heart is essential to discipleship. It is essential to one who is going to be growing in Christ. Because the ones who were pure in heart were once the ones who mourned over their sin. That's why the second and the sixth beatitude go together so well. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning over sin brings purity in heart. If we recognize our sins, our sinful deeds, as well as our sinful thoughts, and if we hate those sins, then you and I are going to try to rip them out. And by God's help, we will, like obnoxious little weeds. And then the purity of heart comes. To be pure in heart means to live without compromise. You know, I was, I was, I was reading on some things, and I found this so striking, um, how many um, different compromises were made, even during World War II, uh, that even American industries did profitable business with Nazi Germany, even to the final stages of World War II. American businesses that worked with Nazi Germany, IBM uh, was one of them. Uh, Hitler's regime used American technology to organize slave labor and to manage death camps. Um, IBM facilities also operated in Germany throughout the war. And then, um, and then uh, IBM's chairman, Thomas Watson, received Germany's merit cross for his contributions to German industry during World War II. And it doesn't stop there. Um, IBM wasn't alone. ITT sold components for the buzz bombs. Um, Ford and General Motors sold trucks. Bayer, the Ashman people, used forced labor for pharmaceutical and medical experiments. Uh, Chase Bank sold Nazi war bonds to German Americans. Standard Oil sold oil. RCA and others did the same, selling what they could. And uh, it was noted by an economics professor, William, Haw William R. Hawkins, that when national security and profits collide, expect businessmen to be businessmen. That should not be the case with Christianity. There should not be compromise with the world. In Jesus' house, men and women seek purity and single-mindedness, focusing solely on the Lord. There should be no dual loyalties. There should be no serving of two masters. Pursue the Lord. Pursue his purity. Blessed are the pure in heart. Lastly, the peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
And so I hope through that little graphic you can see how the first and the second beatitude led to the fifth and the sixth one. So I'm hoping now you can see that the third one leads to uh, the seventh one now. The third one, blessed are the meek. It's meek people who are, who are the ones who bring peace. Meek know that they're without merit. They stop promoting themselves. They stop grasping for privileges and for recognition. And when they stop demanding things that, to come to them, then peace tends to emerge from them. Most strife that happens stems from self-assertion. Another thing that we can look at in here is that even warring tribes and warring groups trust those who are meek to make peace between them. Because those who are meek aren't trying to seek an advantage over this. They aren't asking, whose favor can I gain? People trust those who are meek because they're not angling for future favors. True disciples have peace with God. They are meek people who are not trying to, uh, who, who are not trying to advance themselves in any way. And, and people, so people trust them. Anyone who shares the gospel of Christ should be a peacemaker. They should be meek. They should not be trying to, we should not be trying to force Christ. If you and I are getting upset because people say no to us, realize it's not about us. If we get upset because we couldn't convince one to come, someone to come to Jesus, you made the gospel presentation about yourself. People don't come to Jesus because you, can, you and I can convince them to do so. People come to Jesus because you told them the gospel and the Holy Spirit convinced them to do so. Meek people realize that folks who need Jesus and when you bring peace to them, it ain't you that, can make, that convinces them of doing it. It's God. Now, this peace isn't some kind of obliviousness. Um, it's the logical result of a healthy relationship with the Lord. And peace with God is not just some kind of temporary peace. It's not, it's not just some kind of uh, a small, little, uh, small little moment of peace. Uh, peacemaking is a process that, that requires uh, willingness. And it requires several willing people, especially peace amongst, amongst a group of people. Paul told the Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Peace is more than just absence of conflict as well. It's maturity and well-being. Just because there's not a conflict taking place doesn't mean that, that there's peace. It, it, what, what peace comes from is from uh, maturity as God defines them. Peacemaking is internal as well. It's not just external among people, but it's internal as well. Insecurities and worries, they destroy peace. Discontentment destroys peace. Envy destroys it. When we try to read other people's thoughts about us, it destroys our peace. I was a pastor of a, of a, of a uh, small church um, that I had... Uh, that I know he, he learned that lesson. The pastor and the church, they loved and admired one another. Uh, but the pastor, like yours truly, can get long-winded sometimes. And so uh, what, what, there was a decision made amongst leadership to lengthen the service by about 15 minutes. Now, no one got upset, really. Um, but, uh, 
But there was one man there that, uh, that uh, when the, even though the church had extended its worship service to 1045 instead of 1030, there was one man who sat near the back. He would get up at 1030, directly at 1030. He would straighten up his jacket. Um, he looked rather upset, and he would walk out at 1030. He never said anything, but uh, there, was, there was a sense of displeasure that was happening over here. And uh, the pastor... Uh, had struggled a little bit with some anger that was taking place even within him. And, um, and uh, so one week, this pastor did something uh, rather unique. He said, I'm going to teach this guy from walking out of my sermon 15 minutes early. I'm going to put the sermon at the very beginning of the service. I'm going to do it before all the music. I'm going to do it before all of that. And so the, guy, so the pastor finishes his message, and the man still at 1030 gets up and leaves. This is during the music portion. But later that day, his wife called him. And this was a, this was a really neat part of the story. And she said, Pastor, she said, you can't understand, you can't, you can't imagine how happy my husband was today. And so the pastor was quite surprised, like, happy? She said, you know, he has to report to work at 1045 every Sunday. And he said, he, and she said, he waits, Pastor, until the last possible minute each week. But it upsets him because he can never stay until the end of your message. And today, for the first time in a while, he's heard your whole sermon and he's pleased. And, he's, and she said, I just had to tell you that. Guessing other people's thoughts is a prime way to destroy peace in your own mind. Don't let what you think other people think about you destroy the peace of mind that you have. Um... Especially because by some, by some perverse impulse within us, we tend to make the most negative, self-damaging guesses that someone may think about us. Realize this, and this is, I may sound a little salty in saying this, but we need to hear this. If someone does not have the courage to say what they think about you, you have no reason to worry about what they think. Okay? Sounds a little salty. But if they're not going to say anything, what they think about you, you have no reason to worry about it. Okay? Instead, let us, we need to remember that if we have peace with God, you and I can free ourselves about worrying about lesser things. You and I need to know who we're right with, and that is with God. And the question is, this is the final question. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? Do you have the kind of character that Jesus blesses? And Jesus does bless us. So, I, so the answer to that question, I would say, hopefully for everyone, is yes. But do you have the kind of character that Jesus blesses? They're not isolated virtues. It's a list of, uh, it's a list of, uh, uh, excuse me, it's, it, well, it's not a list of just isolated things. It's not a list to compare yourself to some classic virtue list. It's, does this in its entirety characterize my walk with Christ? And if it doesn't, if there's an area that's missing, then I am not as blessed as Jesus says I could be. We're blessed when we take our poverty to Jesus. We're blessed when we mourn over sin. We're blessed when we're meek. We're blessed when we hunger and thirst for, for, for righteousness. We're blessed when we're merciful to others. We're blessed when we're pure in heart. We're blessed when we're, when we're peacemakers. Our desires, they have consequences. The desire for righteousness. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They'll be satisfied. 
Because that hunger leads us to the gospel. That hunger leads us to Christ. That hunger leads us to a godly character that Jesus has commanded of us. Do you have the kind of character that Jesus blesses? In Christ and hungering after him? You will be.